So if you guys have any questions whatsoever about keto or intermittent fasting, whether you're starting keto as a new person or just need to debug your program, or you have a question about a product, call one of our keto consultants. They'll be able to help you. Call 540-299-1557. That's 540-299-1557. Welcome to the Dr. Berg Healthy Keto and Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Now your host, the man taking your health to a whole new level, Dr. Eric Berg. Well, hey, everyone. I'm excited to bring you um, an amazing guest, um, Professor Seafried. Okay, he's the author of this book right here, Cancer as a Metabolic Disease. This is, an, this is my <laughs> new favorite book, incredible. You need a little bit of biochemistry to get through it, but there's a lot of parts that are really easy to understand. And um, so uh, Professor Seafried has taught and conducted research in the field of neurogenetics, neurochemistry, and cancer for more than 25 years at Yale University. Boston College. He's published more than 150 scientific articles and book chapters and is on the editorial boards of Nutrition and Metabolism, Journal of Lipid Research, Neurochemical Research, and ASN Neuro. So welcome, and I really appreciate you spending some time talking with me today. Oh, um, thanks, Eric. It's nice to be here. Absolutely. Um, I think it's important to start out, um, if, if we could, on the, the big idea here where, um, and kind of if you could do it in layperson's uh, language, just to describe the difference between uh, a normal cell and cancer cell. I think that's important to just talk about that. Yeah, well, um, there are many differences. Uh, the prime difference in my mind is the uh, difference in, in the way the cells generate energy. And um, all the cells in our body need to generate energy. And uh, otherwise they die. You know, I mean, energy is energy. So our whole bodies, we breathe in oxygen and we give off CO2 and produce water as byproducts of aerobic respiration. So aerobic respiration basically is how normal cells or healthy cells make energy. They take the protein, fat, and carbs with oxygen, that's aerobic, equals energy. The tumor cell, on the other hand, um, pretty much functions without oxygen. So uh, in order to function without oxygen, uh, this is referred to as fermentation. So the term fermentation is a primitive or ancient system of how cells can make energy without oxygen. The two main fuel sources for cancer are sugar and glutamine, which is a protein. So um, all tumor cells, as far as I can see and as far as I've looked at, uh, are more dependent on fermentation for energy than they are for uh, respiration for energy using oxygen. So this is why they live in hypoxic environments. They can survive in these environments because they primarily ferment. Um, and when you ferment, you become limited in, in the types of fuels that you need because it, uh, oxidative phosphorylation respiration is an extremely efficient way to generate ATP energy. So the term oxidative phosphorylation is the final stage in respiration which is how normal cells or healthy cells make energy. You need a little bit of material like glucose or some other 
fat or whatever, and you can generate large amounts of energy just from respiration. But if you don't respire, the fermentation pathways are less efficient, therefore the substrates have to be present in large amounts. So the tumor cell is dependent on large amounts of glucose and large amounts of glutamine. And those are the two primary fermentable fuels. So the differences between a normal cell and a cancer cell is primarily the way they generate energy. The tumor cell needs to ferment. The normal cells can respire. Got it. And um, can you touch on the origin of cancer? Because I think uh, mainstream uh, research is, is really focused on this genetic piece, but they're not getting into the metabolic or the damage to the mitochondria. Can you touch on that? Well, I mean, that's the oncogenic paradox. So oncogenic means something that causes tumors, and paradox in this context means something that sounds logical but leads to an unacceptable conclusion. Cancer can be caused by many different insults to our body. Um, carcinogens, you know, people, people look at that and they say, well, that's why we call something a carcinogen, because it has the potential to cause cancer in laboratory animals and humans. You know, radiation causes cancer. Viruses cause cancer. So the question is, how are these, how are these provocative agents causing cancer? The gene theory says that the carcinogen will cause mutations and the mutations then lead to dysregulated cell growth. So you have to say, what is the primary characteristic of tumor and it is dysregulated cell growth. So how does a cell under normal conditions become dysregulated in its growth? So a car, for example, a carcinogen um, is thought to cause a type of mutation which will then cause the tumor cell to uh, become growth uh, unrestricted. Um, and, and if you look at radiation, is thought to cause mutations, some viruses are thought to cause mutations, and these mutations were thought to be the cause of the cancer. However, every one of those same provocative agents also damages the mitochondria in the cell, the very organelle needed for normal respiration. Now, what happens is a carcinogen will enter into the mitochondria, leading to the formation of ROS, reactive oxygen species, which are carcinogens and mutagens. So the term reactive oxygen species, ROS, is a reactive compound containing oxygen. can be formed from within the cell as a byproduct of something, or externally from things like smoking, chemicals, drugs, radiation. So what happens, the mitochondria produces ROS, which then causes the mutations. So the mutations are an effect of the damage to the respiration, not the cause of the cancer. The cancer and the mutations are both effects of the damage to the respiration. So this changes the whole game as to what the nature of this disease is. And we went through and documented very carefully all of the different agents that cause cancer, and every one of them damaged, first damages the respiration, leading to ROS, leading to the mutations. So this whole concept of, of mutations is mostly nonsense. It's absolutely a, a misdirected effort, which is, a, 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 and the, the tragic consequences, over 1,600 people a day are dying from cancer as the result of this tragic misunderstanding of the nature of the disease.
Wow. So um, have you ever done any research or heard about research being done using something like um, IP6 phytic acid as a powerful antioxidant to counter some of the free radical damage? Um, well, that's more it would be in line of prevention. So, um, you know, the, if you can prevent free radical damage to your mitochondria, you're going to prevent cancer. So a free radical is an atom with an unpaired electron. Normally, atoms have paired electrons. Free radical has unpaired, so it makes it highly reactive. Antioxidants give up their electron to stabilize the atom, making it neutral. Cancer does not start nor with normal mitochondria. So things that would be uh, um, uh, reducing reactive uh, oxygen species or inflammation or things like this would all be Im important in preventing the disease. But once the disease starts, you have an altogether different strategy that's needed. Wow. Are there um, microscopic cancer cells in, in pretty much everyone? Is there any data on that? Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure about that. I mean, most healthy tissues, you don't see cancer cells. You know, you only see cancer cells when they become uh, enough to see. You know, make, they make these statements, you know, we all have cancer. Yeah. We, we all, yeah, those cells are usually destroyed, you know, and um, taken care of. Well, we, we turn over our cells all the time. Um, you know, when a cell gets damaged, it, it's turned over. I mean, we have, a, we have a maintenance system. They would turn over the cells. A cancer cell, it would be a cell that would not be turned over. Now, um, do we have precancerous lesions? I think uh, if we have focal inflammatory sec sections, we would have certain, these are referred to oftentimes as polyps or something along these lines, you know, small growths and things, but they're generally benign. They're not, they're not of, the, of a more invasive malignant characteristic. So I guess you can say that we probably have these things, but it's only when the tumor cell begins to invade the local environment and proliferate that we have an issue. Got it. So, so discuss the, some of the research that you talked about in some of the other videos uh, using ketogenic intermittent fasting and also Don, um, and maybe you can yeah. define that. Well, Don is a is a glutamine analog. It, it's um, I can I can always I don't have the the the, the, the structure memorized, but it's uh, six azo norleucine, and uh, the the acronym of course is Don D O N. But this is a glutamine targeting drug. Uh, we have not found any drug more powerful than Don at this point. Um, people, because um, cancer needs, needs the two fuels, glucose and glutamine. So basically the ketogenic diet is targeting your glucose uh, and shifting the whole body off to ketones. Tumor cells can't use ketones because you need a good mitochondria. And if people say cancers use ketones, that would mean they have a normal mitochondria and they wouldn't be cancer in the first place. So um, you find a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding on a, on a part of a significant number of scientists, by the way, that still are confused by this. So it's not just the lay public. They depended on the scientists who themselves are also confused, many of them, not all of them, uh, about these issues. So the tumor cell needs glutamine and glucose. Some tumors are more dependent on glucose than glutamine. Some are more dependent on glutamine than glucose. Many of them need both glucose and glutamine. So it's one of these kinds of things. But if you take away both glucose and glutamine, I don't know if any tumor cell, none of, the, none of them that we have ever found, can survive without their two key fermentable fuels. So Don is one of the drugs that targets and, and takes away the glutamine, whereas the ketogenic diet takes away the glucose. So together, these two uh, work synergistically together. 
and um, would be re effective in my mind of, of probably managing the vast majority of all types of cancers. The, the question is, you know, there's not a single uh, hospital, ca uh, cancer research center anywhere in the world that's doing this. So this is the reason why we have 1,600 people a day dying from a disease. Yeah. It yeah. becomes clear, you know, you're not know. doing the right things. If you did the right things, you wouldn't have, these people would be alive. Right. And what kind of um, uh, some success have you seen on these experiments that you, I, I watched another video that you're, you're combining these three strategies and getting some pretty good, amazing, major effects. Yeah, we are. And, and when we do it, and we haven't really, you know, if you go back in the literature and look at, at Don with patients, um, there, some people did really well and some people didn't do so well. Um, and and no, none, of the, none of the previous studies ever targeted glutamine simultaneously with targeting glucose, uh, uh, with glu glutamine and glucose. So, so people use ketogenic diets and think you're going to cure cancer with a ketogenic diet. Not if it's a glutamine-dependent tumor, you're not. Mm. So, so people have to realize that it's, you got, if you don't hit both, both fuels simultaneously, um, and they always say, well, the cancer cells are smart. They're not smart. And they adapt. They don't adapt. They're, they're just using the fuels that are in the environment. And if you don't take the fuels away from the environment, it's going to look like they're adapting and it's going to look like they're smart, but they're not. So they're, very, they're, they're dependent on two fuels. And if, those, if they have access to those fuels, they will survive. If the fuels are taken away, they will not survive. It's not a complicated problem. No. It's just that when you're chasing genes and you think cancer is a genetic disease, you don't think about any of this stuff. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just that, you know, where are you looking? You know, so it's not, a, you know, when we do it in our preclinical systems, which are the best there are, because we developed the real models for representing real cancer, it's very hard to kill these in the, in the mouse. Uh, but when we, when we combine this, the two strategies together, we're getting great success. And, and we are targeting glutamine in patients, not with Don yet, because it's, it's not available um, in, in sufficient quantities. People don't know how to use it. Um, a lot of the clinicians are concerned about this or that. But, um, you know, it's less toxic than most of the stuff they're already giving these poor cancer patients. Right. Um, so, so, you know, what's going to happen? I mean, we're, we're working with clinical groups and, and uh, oncology groups uh, in different countries, which are more open to uh, trying these kinds of things. And, and, and we are achieving great success in a number of patients for all kinds of cancers, because cancer is one disease. It's all the same. Whether you have a, a lymphoma, a brain tumor, a colon tumor, a breast tumor, a bladder tumor, it's all the same. They're, they're, they ferment. It's such a simple, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's just like you can, you can kill the whole group of them just by knowing how to use one tool. So, wow. um, yeah, it's astonishing. Uh, and who's doing this? Nobody. <laughs> Only because people don't understand. Go down to the top uh, oncology clinics and tell them what I just told you, and they'd look at like deer in a headlight. They wouldn't know what, what it's not, but it's not that lay people understand this better than the right. guy who actually treating the disease. Yeah, it's really, it's hard to teach people who uh, know it all, or at least think they know it all. They, well, if they know it all, how come we have 1,600 people a day dying? I mean, obviously, I know. you don't know that much. They have a lot of fixed ideas. Yeah, well, and, and, and the, the tragic consequences is all these poor people suffering and dying. That's the yeah. consequences of the lack of knowledge. It really is. So you said there's, a, there's I think uh, there's several clinical studies going on right now um, using these strategies around the world? Well, I wouldn't call them clinical studies. I, okay. I would call them patients being treated. All right. So um, because, you know, my colleagues are overwhelmed with patients who have all kinds of cancers and uh, we, we, they, 
uh, I'm not a physician, but they consult with me and we design strategies uh, and the patients are doing well. Now, are they part of a, what we call a clinical trial um, where it would be set up as if we were testing a new drug? No, the answer is no. Uh, are we getting survivors that are looking pretty healthy? The answer is yes. So how would we do a clinical trial? Well, first of all, you have to have people that understand how to do the, the procedure. And second of all, you have to go against the standard of care, which doesn't allow you to do this because it's not appropriately designed in the light of what, what the standard procedures are. So when they say we're going to do a clinical trial, only after you do uh, radiation and chemotherapies are you allowed. Say, the whole thing is, just doesn't work. And um, you know the pharmaceutical companies and the top medical schools have designed procedures where double-blind crossovers are used which are the strategy for a single drug looking at some particular one thing. We're using diets. We're using combinations of drugs and procedures, cocktails, you know, all done in different dosage, timing, and scheduling. The ultimate goal is, can you keep this guy alive? Right. He's healthy. Is he not sick? I mean, these are the endpoints, you know, and this doesn't fit with the current standards of what you're considered a clinical trial. So this is blocked right from the beginning. So, so what you want to do is how many people can we write up as case reports, people that should be dead that are still alive, without hair loss, without sickness, without any of these kinds of things, and keep publishing these papers, and this is what we do. And eventually, somebody's gonna say, I wanna do that. Right, right. Yeah, there's just probably not a lot of money in this because, um, I mean, it's, it's it, I mean, there's, there's a lot of money in medication, but there's not, uh, probably a lot of funding, and it's just well, hard to get funding. Yeah, well, you can't, you know, what do you, you know, you, you get a lot of money to study cancer, and you get a lot of money to treat the disease, but you don't get much money if you're attempting to resolve it. No. You know? um, so, you know, we're in the resolution business and um, every person that walks longer on the planet than they should have been is a success in itself. So we're interested more in these survivors, these long, those so-called rare long-term survivors that you should not see, like for glioblastoma, right. and pancreatic cancer, and these kinds of things, advanced lung and breast, metastatic breast cancer. I mean, if you keep people alive on a regular basis far longer than they should have been, then you know, you know you're on the right path. Now, what we do here at Boston College is we ferret out the mechanisms by which this works. So um, this then, fall, you're falling back on hard science. You're not falling back on you know, some, some mysterious unknown thing. So we, we characterize the molecular mechanisms by which all this works. Then we go into the, uh, and it is funny because all these companies, they use these preclinical models and most of the time it doesn't work. When you get something that works in a preclinical model, oh, well, that's only a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to show it works in humans. In fact, the humans do better than the mice. Wow. So, so, um, so how many more of these patients in publications? Yeah, we're working on this. My friends bring me the data who, um, who work in the clinics. And we sit down and uh, we write up the case reports and we publish them and they get a lot of recognition. But you know, the problem is you can't institute this yet at the top medical schools because it, it goes against the standards of care. You have to change your standard of care, which means you gotta pr primarily get rid of radiation and primarily get rid of toxic chemo. And, <laughs> and those two aren't going away anytime soon. <laughs> I see the problem. It's pretty it's, obvious. It's, yeah, it's clear. It's clear. So, um, but you know, ge revenue generation. You know, we use hyperbaric oxygen. Um, you know, the, some of the we some of my colleagues use the lowest of the low dose chemo only because they have to. You know, we really don't need to use that. 
But, um, you know, there's other ways you can probably generate revenue. I'm not into the generation revenue business. I'm just into the business of knowing, is the, is the, is the therapeutic strategy effective? Does it work? And, and, and do we have evidence to support that? And what is the science behind it? Because that's my job. Okay, so if I can show that it works and it's based on a solid scientific background, then it becomes, <laughs> it becomes unconscionable not to use it. Right, exactly. I agree. Now, in your book, you mentioned this term. I've never heard about it before. Inflammatory oncotaxis. Inflammatory oncotaxis is a term used to describe how cancer tends to invade areas of inflammation, trauma, or injury. Well, and it, this is a, uh, a provocation of a, of a somewhat semi-malignant state. So um, uh, it, it, they, the, the, the inflammatory microenvironment will stimulate tumor cells or incipient tumor cells to move. Um, and we, we have this, and it's um, wound, uh, in other words, you can, we have shown, and others um, have shown that the metastatic cancer cell is actually part of our immune system. It's a macrophage. A macrophage is one of the cells in our bodies. It's a very, it's a very important cell for killing bacteria, repairing wounds, and this kind of thing. So these cells are like the toughest cell in our body. They can survive in hypoxic environments. They, 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 they're a real, a real tough cell. Um, these cells fuse with some of these other kinds of, um, I would say, not benign, um, stem kind of cells that don't have the capacity to move around your body. And, and they, they form these micro environments that um, cause fusion, hybridization. Now you have a, mac, uh, a tumor cell that has the capacity to spread through your whole body based on the, on the genetic behavior of the macrophage. So, so does it morph into a macrophage or is it kind of just experiencing no, the characteristics? It seems to be some sort of a hybrid condition where the, the cancer stem cell, which doesn't have the capacity to metastasize, fuses with a normal cell, uh, and then they become this hybrid cell. Now, the hybrid cell, of course, has damaged respiration. So you have a cell that's, uh, that's um, dysregulated in its growth, but also has the capacity to spread around the body. Mm -hmm. so, so, and these cells home in on wounds and uh, are provoked by, by, by different kinds of microenvironments. So the, 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 the example, um, one of the examples we use for inflammatory oncotaxis is when people take needle biopsies of cancer, cancer tissue, like in breasts, for example. You know, they always say, well, let's do a needle biopsy on this person's breast tumor to characterize the genetic mutations that might be there, right? So what they do is they take a needle biopsy of a potentially benign uh, growth, which then forms an inflammatory oncotaxis situation, leading to the the, 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 the spread uh, of a previously benign tumor into a malignant tumor by the very fact that you took the, the to, to test it, uh, to see what kind of cancer it might be, right? So this poor woman who may have had a benign tumor now has a malignant tumor just because some guy wants to look at the gene mutations in the tumor, which mean absolutely nothing anyway. So you put this person at terrible risk. You know, it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens significantly enough that there's a publications on this. Not only for, they do needle biopsies on a lot of different kinds of tumors. And this is what happens. So you put the person at risk uh, by spreading the tumor when it wasn't necessary to spread in the first place. This is one of the reasons why they, they get rid of the morcellation procedure for removing uterine polyps in females, right? So 
this was the Johnson and Johnson machine that would be uh, grind up your uterine polyps and suck it up. And there was a, a physician from Harvard, a young lady, a, a, a physician herself, got metastatic uterine cancer and died from the morselation procedure. And then they found out that this was uh, common and uh, not common. Uh, it, it happened significantly enough to know that there was a real problem. Well, this is all an example of, on of inflammatory oncotaxis. You're, you're, stabbing, you're stabbing a beehive, and you don't want the bees to come out, right? So yeah. the best thing to do is use metabolic therapy, shrink it down into a tiny little thing, and then surgically debulk it so you never stick it with anything. You just get rid of it. So once you understand the biology of the disease, you'll realize that most of what we do in the cancer field would never be, should never be done. So and this, it comes back to the lack of knowledge on the biology of the disease. So once you understand the biology, you, there's certain things you should never do, and yet they do it all the time. Insane. So basically what, what he's talking about, guys, is that um, cancer tends to invade areas of inflammation and mechanical injury, right? Yeah. yeah. You, can, you can injure. It's called, it's called the investigator. Uh, by, by investigating, you provoke, right. and it's inflammatory oncotaxis leading to the spread of the disease. So, um, you know, you don't want to do that. Uh, but yet, here's the situation. You get the, the, the insurance companies will pay $7,200 to have you get a full readout of the gene mutations in your tumor. So there's a, there's an, uh, there's an, uh, a financial incentive to take a, a needle biopsy just to see the mutations, which, as I said, mean nothing anyway. So, so, uh, but you, put that, you potentially can put a patient at risk for spreading the disease by an analyzing information that's largely worthless. Wow. Wow. Yeah, because even in my clinic, I, I just noticed, I've observed um, when, when people with cancer, they usually always had a pre-existing injury. Like I had a guy fell on his back of his neck on the brainstem. He developed cancer on the brainstem. Another person got hit with a baseball in the breast. She got cancer on that location. I just found that interesting that uh, yeah. there's this correlation between old injury. Well, sometimes if there, there are reports uh, that if you have an incipient metastatic lesion in your body, and you get a wound in another part of your body, the tumor cells will move from, from one site over to the wound site. Wow. That was also reported for people who had tooth extraction, because if you take an extracted tooth, you create a great big wound in your gum. And uh, tumor cells like from, from a lung, uh, and in small lung metastasis would, would then invade the wound in the tooth. And uh, this is because it's a macrophage. Macrophages do this. So it all comes back to what, what the biology of the metastatic cell is. And when you know it's a macrophage, you say, what do they eat? Well, they, they're heavily glutamine dependent. So you just take away their glutamine. So once you know the biology of the, of the thing, there's so many easy ways to kill these cells. Wow. I think it's, it's hard to avoid glutamine in the diet because it's in almost every food. You... Yeah, you, can't, you, can't, you have to use drugs. And that's why we use Don and EGCG, the green tea extract, which you know, we're still looking into that. Uh, possibly chloroquine. There are a number of other drugs that could be uh, used that would be specifically targeting the tumor cell while, while not harming the normal cells. Wow. Wow. Um, on your website, I think on the website that you have, there's a place where people can actually donate as well to the Boston College, right? Specifically to well, your research? Yeah, we have the Boston College um, uh, Cancer Fund in, in my name. Uh, we also have a lot of people donating to uh, Travis Christofferson's um, 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 metabolic therapy. It used to be called the Single Cause, Single Cure Foundation. He set that foundation up to support our work. 
um, which 100% of the 100 100% of the money he raises goes to the research. Not 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 90%, 100%. See, that's that's what I was going to ask you because I mean, with all this cancer breast research, I mean, it's rarely if you would get hardly anything. So this is really good news. Well, you know, the you know, it's very interesting. We get a lot of small donations. Sometimes you know, people will throw in bigger amounts, but um, you know. And most of the people that contact me are people that, that uh, don't have a lot of means. Um, the people with great insurance policies and who are, who are people of means, they go to the top medical schools, the top cancer re research centers uh, to get treated, which is like, <laughs> you know. So the people that will survive will be the people, the people who have, don't have money, money means Basically, the poor people would be the ones that will survive cancer. Right, right. <laughs> Better than the rich people. You know, yeah. because, because what, we, what we do is we, we target the ba basic biology. The, the tragedy is right now is that the, um, we don't have enough physicians that are trained to do this. So there's a huge gap in, in, how, in what we understand and in the actual uh, um, procedures to treat the patients. Uh, and this is where the tragedy is, I think, because because the poor, the physicians in the medical schools are never trained to understand cancer as a metabolic disease. Mm -hmm. You know, they've been they, they've been indoctrinated by the gene theory, and they think therefore radiation and chemo become a logical uh, approach to managing the disease. Um, but when you understand that this is not the nature of the disease, then all that stuff makes no sense. It harms the patient, right? Mm -hmm. It causes tremendous grief strategy. I mean, it really, it really puts... Now, of course, there's many cancer patients that survive standards of care, but their bodies have been beat up and they take tremendous risk in putting themselves at risk for other kinds of maladies in the future. Yeah, so, 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 so basically, um, we raise money through um, these private found Travis's Christofferson's private foundation, basically, and through Boston College, um, uh, my uh, our own university uh, uh, web page, and they uh, at, on, on even on my um, Boston College uh, preview page, there's ways that people can donate to the unit to the university um, that way as well. I'm going to put some links down below uh, because I know a lot of people want to donate to this. Um, what um, what are the success rates of the cancer uh, therapies that are going on right now? I, I know it's not great um, as far as um, I don't know what they define as being successful, but um, yeah. Well, the top you know every, you hear all new, uh, uh, on the news right now is the uh, immunotherapies. You know, Keytruda, Optivo. The newest one is the CART, CART T, you know, um, immunotherapy, where uh, it's just beyond my comprehension that now why anybody would 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 do stuff like this. I mean, it's just um, very complicated, very risky, very 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 expensive. Um, you know, patients they take your T cells for lymphomas and they and they genetically engineer your T T cells at a different site, and then you put those genetic, those engineered T cells are now supposed to target and track down the, the cancer cells in your body. And then your body has to be purged of any of its regular T cells. And it's, it's just, I call these kinds of th therapies Rube Goldberg machines. They're, they're very, very complicated ways of doing something very simple. Um, you know, the goal is trying to track and kill tumor cells using immunotherapy. Um, and these immunotherapies sometimes can be a, a, a go wild on you. They could start attacking your normal organs, 
you know, it's, it's like letting a pack of wild dogs loose, you know, so they, they could sometimes turn on you. Wow. And, um, and, you know, there are success stories. I mean, there certainly are success, but there's just an equal number of, of tragedies and deaths. I mean, why would you ever want to treat a patient with something that has the possibility of harming or killing them? Right. I mean, that should not be a part of the equation at all. Exactly. You know? it's, it's totally insane. It's insane. And especially when all you have to do is take away glucose and glutamine. Yeah. And especially these lymphomas, these, you know, these diffuse these B cell lymphoma, they're all dependent on glutamine. So all you have to do is target glutamine. Why, why are we doing this? I think it's too simple. That's the problem. It's too simple. And that's the truth. It is too simple. Um, and uh, only ba it's simple because you have been indoctrinated to think cancer is an extremely complicated disease. Yeah. You, then you chase complication with more complication, and, and, and you create these incredibly expensive and complicated immunotherapeutic procedures when all you have to do is take away glucose and glutamine. You know, because, and then, then they'll say, well, that's not proven. What do you mean it's not proven? There's a thousand articles in the literature proving what I just said. Is you choose to ignore it? Exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah, think... yeah. What I'm saying is, is, is it, 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 there's thousands of articles in the scientific literature supporting what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, you have. I mean, this this book is. I don't know how long it took you to write this, but this is quite an amazing book. You have all the um, the arguments against the theory, and you you just go right through and and just you know explain. They're missing data. It's false. They haven't read it. They, so there's just so much great data in here. Um, I'm just yeah. thoroughly impressed. Yeah, it took a while to write it, you know, but yeah. at, at some point in your life when you have collected enough data to say there's something seriously wrong here. And Otto Warburg was really the guy who, who started this back in the 1920s. And he clearly defined what the origin of the disease was, which was da damage to the mitochondrial respiration. The problem is he didn't have all of the other aspects of this. There were some missing parts to his argument. And those few missing parts led to the, the, the idea that he was wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, he wasn't wrong. He was spot on. It's just that he did not have all of the new evidence that we now have to support Like glutamate? Him. Yeah, he did not know about glutamine amino acid fermentation. Mm -hmm. he, he just knew about glucose fermentation. So, so he didn't know the other half, and that's why people think he was wrong. He wasn't wrong. He was right. He just didn't have all the parts of the puzzle. So we have now filled in those gaps, and we know that he was right, and now the disease can be managed in a much more, less toxic and a more effective manner. It's just that right now we've built a massive industry around this cancer, thinking that we have to treat these patients with all this expensive toxic stuff, and, and you don't really need to do that. And then when somebody comes along, like me, to tell them that, hey, you're on the wrong path, they're going to find every thousand reasons why I'm wrong. And, uh, and the answer is I'm basing it on thousands of scientific articles published in the top research journals in the world. Which so, you have right in this book. Yeah, yeah it's whole and, list. And there's, and there's many, many more. You know, it's coming, they're coming out all the time. So it's very, it's very interesting in the cancer research industry. Um, many people have, have found that glucose and glutamine are, are, are primary. They, what they don't do is they don't, they don't take that and bring it to the clinic. So, and the clinicians who are treating with radiation and chemo can't believe that you can cure cancer in such a short, I want to say cure, but you can certainly manage it. Um, we don't know about curing. I don't like to use the word cure because we don't really know. But if you're alive far longer than you were predicted to be, uh, I don't want to say you're cured. You're, you're certainly long-term managed. And isn't that the goal? Isn't that what yeah. we can do? Yeah. yeah. And I think even you, meant, you mentioned in some of the mice studies, there was 
was it 14 or 15 days? You saw you saw some significant changes with cancer being destroyed, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're we're hunting now. We've got some of the the finest uh, pathologists on the planet uh, hunting for surviving cancer cells in the tissues. So, so uh, you know, we're looking. You know, we've killed. Sometimes it's so hard. And, and when you look at a, a a tissue that's been treated with metabolic therapy, I mean, it's just a slaughter. These tumor cells are dead and dying everywhere. So, uh, and we and and sometimes you get so overwhelmed and say, "Wow, look at the mass death." But you know, is there any is there anybody live in that population that we should be concerned about? <laughs> right, right. We're trying to find we're trying to find the needle in the haystack, the live right. cell that made it through the metabolic therapy. Wow. So, um, and that's where we're we're at now. And I'm working with uh, colleagues in Venezuela who are just superb pathologists, the best I've ever seen. And we're really hunting down to see if we can find any cell that can survive this metabolic therapy. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Because if you can't, if you can't find that, that would uh, mean that this is a hundred percent. I mean, it's it's the we way to go. We can't say that for sure. Yeah. Like, so we can't say that every single cell, because you know, we we found that some of these macrophage kinds of cells, um, they also can phagocytize and eat dead cells. Mm-hmm. So um, they can get their glucose and glutamine by eating a dead cell that was killed. <laughs> wow, amazing. So that's why that's why we have to go after. Uh, their lysosomes, which are their internal stomach, and you put in antacids so they can't digest what they just ate. So what, what, <laughs> once you understand the biology, you can really get excited on the numerous ways you can kill these cancer cells without harming the rest of the body. So it's going to be very exciting once the, once the medical field comes to know how, how, how to do this. It's going to be, you know, wow, you know, here's a new patient. Let's see how many ways we can kill his cancer cells and keep him healthy. And besides, what we're finding is many of these cancer patients have all kinds of other metabolic maladies. They have high triglycerides, they've got uh, type 2 diabetes, they've got all kinds of other issues. Well, all that goes away when you're killing the tumor cells. Wow. So so these patients get much healthier, and and their cancer is managed. So uh, it's a a strategy that works on multiple different uh, fronts. Wow. Is there there any clinics now that are doing... um... I mean, existing, doing some of this? Yeah, well, we have the, the main one is in Istanbul, Turkey, uh, uh, where, where uh, Dr. Barkarda also read my book. And he realized that we need to do something different. Um, and uh, they then uh, developed the uh, chemotherapy-assisted metabolic therapy, where they're using very, very low doses of chemo, um, just barely within the, re- within the guidelines of standard of care, and then doing metabolic therapy which includes insulin potentiation, hyperbaric oxygens, ketogenic diets, this kind of thing. So insulin potentiation therapy is a therapy that uses a very small amount of chemo, usually 75 to 90% less chemo. Since cancer cells have 10 to 20 times more receptors for insulin because they love sugar, they're addicted to it. So by giving a cancer patient insulin, you can drop the blood sugars, make the cancer cell really, really hungry, add the small amount of chemo, they suck it up and die. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy is a treatment in which you put someone in a chamber of high pressure and then you infuse oxygen to increase healing. And they're getting spectacular results on all kinds of of stage four. They only do stage four metastatic cancers. Wow. You know, and they're they're getting results on on uterine cancer, uh, ovarian, advanced breast, pancreatic cancer. And then my colleagues in, in Egypt, uh, Alexandria, are using an ing- on glioblastoma, 
So they're getting pretty good results on, on glioblastoma. That's one uh, of the most aggressive uh, brain tumors, right? It used to be. Yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> wow. So, you know, um, so if you know what you're doing and you know how to do it, uh, many of these so-called uh, terminal cancers uh, may no longer be terminal. And, um, but, you know, the problem is so many people come to me after having failed radiation and chemo, immunotherapy, whatever they're throwing at you. And by that time, your whole body is so beat up and, and so destroyed. Uh, sometimes they can't rally. Um, you can't get your normal cells to rally to destroy the tumor cells because you have been so compromised by an inefficient uh, treatment strategy. Uh, and there's a tragedy right there. So uh, on the other hand, there are some people who I've been beat up to hell. I can't believe that they're still walking, who have been rescued uh, from this. Um, so I've seen it all. I mean, we've seen one or another. We don't rescue everyone. Uh, but if we hit these guys up, up front with the metabolic therapy, I think we'd probably get an 80 to 85 to 90% uh, management rate without toxicity. Wow. So when, when people, and nobody can believe this. They say, well, this can't be. But why? Why can't you believe it? You don't right. read scientific literature. What's the matter with it? Yeah. You know, we read it and we understand it and we see it when we do it right. So it's not just preclinical. My preclinical system is designed to help the physicians in the clinic use the right dosage timing and strategies on their patients. So it's a kind of a, we're one of the few groups that actually does translational research where we take research from the mice and put it directly into the human. So wow. people talk the talk, they don't walk the walk. Right. Yeah, we do. Do you, do you find that if, um, if you had a lot more money, could you do a lot more research? I mean, is, is that lacking right now or is there? Um... Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, obviously, you know, we're working with undergraduates and part-time professionals. Uh, and we could streamline this whole thing 10 times faster if we had more research. You know, when we apply for research grants at the NIH, they're always asking, you know, what gene is involved? You know, how, what do you, it's irrelevant. You know, so, uh, and it's not their fault because the guys sitting on the study section all are interested in supporting their own research. And, uh, and they're all looking at different drugs and, and genes and this kind of thing. And um, so it's very hard to, I used to have a lot of money from the NIH when I wasn't trying to cure the disease. <laughs> as soon as you mention that you have something that will work, oh, all, all the research, all the money stops. Oh, so then we become dependent on private foundations and the, the goodness of others that want to support this. You know, they have a family member or something like this. But, you know, we could bring this. And, and, and uh, my colleagues that are in Istanbul, and they're overwhelmed. They're being trampled by the number of patients that are coming into their clinics. They, they don't have the time that they would like to have. Um, and they're also under the gun uh, by their own, uh, their, their, their own colleagues are angry because um, it's just like having something that's, uh, you know, you're taking away all my patients now. They're all, you know, or they all want to go to your, your side of the clinic and not my side of the clinic. And, 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 and you know, and we're seeing more and more of this. So um, everybody doing this is, is threatening a system, um, mm -hmm. uh, an entire industry. Uh, that's failed. And we have, we and we know, because I wouldn't speak like this if I hadn't seen the results myself. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, and the mice, but um, yeah, but we, 
you know, as I said in our Press Pulse paper, uh, which was we published with a couple of physicians and myself, Joe Maroon is the uh, a neurosurgeon at University of Pittsburgh and team surgeon for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He, he's with us on this. You know, Dr. George Yu, he's an oncologist. Uh, Dom Diagostino, my colleague, who does hyperbaric oxygen. You know, we're, we're publishing these papers, but to really, to really get to the heart, we, there are so many new drugs that we can combine for metabolic therapy with ketogenic diets. Um, you know, you see more and more people wanting to do this, but you know, the knowledge base that we have is greater than anyone else's because we've been doing it before anyone else did it. Right. So, um, you know, we've been doing this for almost 20 years now, but we're just learning how many new combinations, non-toxic combinations that we can put together to resolve cancer, uh, but we need the research money to do this. And we want to show we, we, are, we want to find a tumor somewhere that doesn't respond to metabolic therapy, and we haven't found this yet. So if we can show that every major cancer is demolished, then um, what more evidence, do, what, 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 what do we have to do? <laughs> right, yeah, because there's, there's always this wild variable that, well, we can't understand this one certain thing that doesn't respond. Well, if you can solve that, that... So far, we haven't found that one thing. That's you know, it's just like because it's, so, it's based so clearly on, on what the underlying problem is. Yeah. And, uh, and then we have new, now Don is prop, we call it a miracle drug. Um, and they don't want to use it because they said it was too toxic, but we, we now have evidence that when you combine with ketogenic di diet, the toxicity is significantly reduced. Wow. So we have a miracle drug and we just have to prove that it's miracle for every kind of cancer that exists. <laughs> That's all? Oh, okay, good. Yeah. So you need money to do that because you have to, it's all labor intensive because when you're doing um, mouse work, uh, the mice are very, very expensive and the labor to do the research is expensive. So, but expensive relative to what? CAR T right. therapy? Right. Which $400,000 a patient? Oh, insane. Well, usually, you know, things that really work are simple. So um, you, you, I'm just blown away uh, by this interview. This is incredible. Yeah, well, you know, as I said, try, try, if you collect questions, because a lot of people have many, many kinds of questions, not only about the science, but about the direct applicability of this. Mm -hmm. And and you will hear a lot of questions um, like, oh, what about KK? Listen, I've, I've gotten almost every kind of a question from every kind of a physician, from every kind of a science researcher. You know, how do you explain this? How do you explain that? How do you explain this? And we go through and give them explanation. I can't, it's always something that comes along we can't explain. But then I throw my army of students on top of it. And, you know, within a few months, we have an explanation for it. So, um, but generally we can address because we already have addressed most of the concerns yeah it's, it's actually all right in here it's like you really explain everything well, in detail yeah, well this we've we've put on new we've actually have stronger evidence for wow. some of the things at the at the beginning which wasn't completely clear we even have it more clarified now wow so um you know it's it's an emerging it's an emerging field it's going to be the new field metabolic therapies yeah this is really it's exciting very exciting and nds you know, those guys, um, they're, in, they're, they're the best uh, strategists because they love to take blood work. They love to do this. They love to do that. A lot of the MDs don't do this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it, it'll open up cancer treatment to a whole group of other people that can actually facilitate the treatment. If we get rid of these toxic drugs and radiation, you don't have to be going to a hospital to get, right. to get these right. treatments. You know, You're talking so. about naturopathic docs? Yeah. 
ND, okay. naturopathic yeah. guys. Uh, yeah. They seem to be more into looking at all the blood work and things like this. And I've learned things from them. So they've showed me things that I didn't know before based on their treatment of patients with ketogenic diets, like elevated vitamin D levels coming as the, as, the, as the fat is dissolved, vitamin D is released back into the blood. You start getting elevated vitamin D when you, you don't need to supplement as much anymore. Wow. So there's a lot of new things that are coming as the result of all this. Yeah. So um, it's going to be exciting. I, you know, it's just that it's frustrating because, because the field doesn't know it or doesn't want to know about it. But it's no. exciting to know that you have a real strategy for the future. Oh, so my that, gosh. That, that, that's what's nice to know. This is mind blowing. This is actually very, very exciting. Um, I mean, wow! I had all these questions. Now they're they're gone. <laughs> you answered them very well. Um, I really appreciate you uh, spending the time to educate us on this incredible piece of observation and knowledge and research. And um, I'm going to put some links down below. And uh, I definitely want in the future do some updates of uh, see where this is going and. Um, it's all very, very exciting. So I want to thank you for the interview. And uh, I really appreciate what you're doing so much. Oh, thank you, Eric. Uh, nice to have your support. Thanks. Absolutely. Hey, guys, I just want to let you know I have my new keto course just came out. It's a mini course. It covers all the basics and how to do it correctly. You can get through this in probably 20 minutes at the very most. So if you're interested, click the link below and get signed up now.